Hey, good evening. Best I can figure, I've got a Bible study about two hours and 28 minutes, okay? So I hope you, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, don't run out on me, don't turn off the TV if you're watching. Uh, hey, I, I'm excited about uh, Sunday night. I just want to echo what Rob said and those that are just tuning in. Let me invite you to be here on Sunday night. I know we've got some folks from our church that are watching on Sunday night and other places, uh, or Wednesday night rather. Uh, watching tonight, and so on Sunday night, what an incredible opportunity to see where God's leading us this year in the area of missions, how you can be involved, and why it's important. And so all that's coming up this coming Sunday night, 537. Again, I'm repeating this, I know here, but I want those that are watching online to be aware of it as well. Now, tonight I want you to take your Bibles and open God's Word to First uh, Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 is... Of course, we've been looking at a couple of weeks now, and it really is a call to holy living. That's really kind of the essence of the first chapter, a call to holy living. And last week, we looked at the fact that not only are we to live a holy life, but the thing that motivates that holy living, we looked at last week, is the fear of the Lord. And we talked about that sounds a little bit strange to our ears sometimes, but the thing that motivates... Our holy living ought to be the fear of the Lord. That's what Peter talked about last week. And he basically made the case, you need to understand that your heavenly father, yes, he is your heavenly father, but he's also your judge. He is your father, but he's also your judge. Now, that was last week. So tonight, we're going to look at how our lives are shaped by responding to what God says. If we're going to live in fear of the Lord, of course, we have to respond to what God says. We have to obey what God says. So tonight we're going to be talking about how our lives are shaped when we respond to what God says. So our text tonight is chapter 1, verses 20, uh, beginning in verse 22 and going into chapter 2, verse 3. Now, before we read this text, since it's part of the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, I think this would be a good time for us to pause for just a moment and talk about chapter divisions. Uh, when the books of the Bible were originally written, they did not contain chapter divisions or verse divisions for that matter. In fact, when Peter wrote this letter, that's what it was. It was a letter. It, it, Peter didn't write chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. He, that's not the way he wrote it. He wrote it in terms of a letter. Uh, the Bible was divided into chapters and into verses much, much later, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Much, much later, it was divided in chapters and verses. And it was written that way, or divided that way, to help us find the Scripture more quickly and more easily. Case in point. It's pretty easy to find John chapter 3, verse 16. Because it's broken down for you, you can locate it pretty easily. If you did not have chapter and verse divisions... You'd be looking for God so loved the world, but where it'd take a while to get, to get through that because you'd have no reference points. And so sometimes, here's what, the reason I'm bringing this up, sometimes the chapter breaks come at an odd place. Now, we don't believe that the chapter breaks or, or the chapters and the verses are, are divinely inspired like the original text is divinely inspired. And so sometimes they come at an odd place. Now, Many times they come at the perfect place and they help us really see the, the uh, divisions of the book. Our text tonight is one of those examples where the chapter division falls 
in an odd place. In fact, let me just show you this. If you look at God's word, I want you to look at chapter 2 and tell me what the very first word is. Therefore, that's not really the way you would start a chapter, right? Therefore, unless what was in that chapter is connected to what was at the end of chapter 1. And so this is a perfect example of how sometimes you have to read past the chapter in order to, to understand the whole text. So as you're reading your Bibles, as you're studying your Bibles, uh, sometimes we think, okay, I'm at the end of this chapter, so that's the end of the thought. Not necessarily. Sometimes the, what the writer is talking about, what the author is talking about, continues down into the next chapter. And so let me just briefly, just very briefly, I'm not going to teach all this, but just very briefly uh, explain to you how the chapter and verses came about in our Bibles. Um, it took a period of over 300 years, by the way. It wasn't just somebody sat down and decided to do this. But it took a period of over 300 years uh, to bring this about. So, 1227, what is the significance of that date? In 1227, uh, there was a, a man named Stephen Langton. Stephen Langton. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And in 1227, well, let me ask you this. Do you think... He started with chapter divisions or verse divisions. If you were doing this, which one would you start with? Chapter, right. So in 1227, he was the person to say, hey, let's divide the Bible into chapters. So 1227, uh, Stephen Langton, Archbishop of Canterbury, did that. Now, the reason this date is, is important is because there was a Bible translation called the Wycliffe The Wycliffe Bible Translation and the Wycliffe English Bible in 1382 was the first Bible, printed Bible, to use this chapter division. Alright, so that's the first Bible to say where you'd open the book and you'd have chapters. Now, this is just talking about chapters. In 1448, uh, there was a man named Nathan who was a Jewish rabbi and he... Let me do this in blue ink. He divided the chapters into verses in the Old Testament. He was a Jewish rabbi. He was looking at his, his Hebrew Bible. He saw the chapter divisions, and he thought, we, I could break that down even further. And so he broke down the chapter divisions into verses, 1448. Now, it only took 107 years before somebody said, you know what, we could do that in the New Testament too. And, and, and so a guy named Stephanus did the verses of the New Testament, which I'm grateful for. And then, the first English Bible to have the verses printed out was called the Geneva Bible. Printed in Geneva. And the Geneva Bible was the predecessor uh, to... Um, the King James. The King James was translated in 1611, and the Geneva Bible was printed in 1560. So it was the one prior to the King James, the first English Bible to have chapter and verse divisions. So that's probably more information than you really wanted to know, but uh, I'm just wanting to, you to see that when we go to chapter 1, the thought that the author is making, the point that the author is making, carries over into chapter 2. And so let's Read the text together. Beginning chapter 1, verse 22. 
Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. Now, let me say here that he's quoting from the Old Testament. And as he quotes from the Old Testament, he's making this point. This is what God says in the Old Testament. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands how long, church? If you mark your Bibles, we'll come back to that word in a moment. If you mark your Bibles, you might want to underline that word forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envies and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The central theme of this entire text that we've just read is that is twofold. The Word of God and our response to the Word of God. I'll come back to that in a moment, but I want you to think in these terms. That really, this text is going to focus on those two things. The Word of God and our response to it. Or to say it this way, the Word of God and how our lives are shaped by it. That the real theme of the text is the Word of God and how our lives are shaped by the Word of God. So here's what I want you to do. I'm kind of asking you to participate tonight. I want you to read the text to yourself. Just read it to yourself, beginning in chapter 1, verse 22, going through chapter 2, verse 3. As you read, I want you to find how many descriptions can you find of the Bible? How many phrases can you find that would indicate the author is talking about the Bible? So read the text and see how many you can come up with. I came up with six. See if you can come up with six. All right, let's see what you came up with. What's the first reference to the Bible that you see in the text? What verse do you find it in and what phrase is it? The truth, verse 22. Verse 20, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, that phrase, the truth, is referring to the Word of God. What's the next phrase that you find in? What verse do you find it in? 23, what's the phrase? The living and enduring Word of God, but there's another one. That, that's one of them for sure. The imperishable seed. 
the imperishable seed. Look what it says. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now again, that's a little bit tricky, but he's referring to the Word of God through the living and enduring Word of God. Give me the next one. Verse 25. Verse 25, he talks about the Word of the Lord. Verse 25, also he talks about the Word. And that is the Word that was preached to you, the end of verse 25. And then in chapter 2, there's one more. It's in verse 2. Do you know what it is? Yeah, the pure spiritual milk. Notice these various descriptions to the Bible. The truth, the imperishable seed, the living and enduring word of God, the word of the Lord, the word and the pure spiritual milk. That is why I said to you a moment ago that really the two themes that run through this text are the word of God and how our lives are shaped by the word of God. And that's what is reflected here in this this drawing, think of, of train tracks. That's what that's supposed to be, okay? You got, you got two tracks going, going through this text. And the two tracks going through this text are God's Word, and it's got six different names. But God's Word and our response to God's Word. And our response to God's Word, or sometimes it might be our experience from God's Word. You could also put the word experience under here. But you'll see this woven Throughout the text. So let's dig into this and see what Peter has to say. Let me give an example of how these two tracks go together. Look with me at verse 22. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. So notice what he talks about here. I'm not going to write on this. But he talks about you have purified yourself by obeying. That's your response. You were obeying the truth. As you obeyed the truth, you found that the Word of God was not only true, but it had an impact on your life. As you obeyed the truth, as you obeyed the Word of God, it shaped your life. So that's one very clear, very obvious example in verse 22. And we're going to see that same kind of thing woven throughout the Scripture here in this text. That there's something unique about this book we call the Bible. And the thing that that is so unique about this book that we call the Bible is how it shapes our lives. As we respond to God's Word, it shapes our lives. And we're going to see that again and again and the reasons we should respond to God's Word. So, there's no blank for you to fill in, but I want you to write down this lesson. I meant to put this on your note sheet, but I want you to write this phrase or this sentence down. Responding to what God says always improves our lives. If I could summarize the entire text tonight, if I could take the whole text and put it in a sentence, it would be that. Responding to what God says always improves our lives. So as we work our way through the text tonight, I want you to look for this interaction between our lives and God's Word. Because of the influence, the impact of God's Word on our lives. So, as we're reading, look for this. Our response to God's Word, how it influences and impacts our lives. Alright, so I hope you have your Bibles now. And I've got four points for you that we're taking straight out of the Scripture. Here's the first one. If you have your notes, follow along. We should respond to what God says because it plays a vital role in our salvation. That's the first and primary and foremost reason. 
It plays a vital role in our salvation. Peter says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Let's talk about that phrase, born again. Most of you are very familiar with that phrase. Uh, But maybe we need to clarify exactly what that says, what that means. Every person here tonight and every person watching online tonight, all of us, of course, have been born of the flesh. There's, There's no exceptions to that. We've all been born of the flesh. We all had two parents. You may or may not have known both parents, but we all have had two parents. And we're all born of the flesh. But every person here tonight and every person watching online also has an opportunity to be born from above. And if you think about this term born again, it doesn't just mean just, uh, you know, born of flesh, but it really means born from above. The Greek word born again literally means that. It's, it's referring to, write this down somewhere, just write it on your notes. It's referring to a spiritual birth, not a physical birth. It's referring to something that God does, not something that we do. Or not something that we bring about. Let me say it to you this way. Just like you had two parents to bring about your physical birth, there are also two parents to bring about your spiritual birth. Let me tell you what those two parents are. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. Those are your two parents that bring about the spiritual birth or the rebirth or the the theological term for that is regeneration. It simply means to be born again or to be reborn. Now let me show you this in Scripture. Go to the left and find Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to ask for your participation in several places tonight. So hope you got your Bibles and turning and finding it with me. Titus chapter 3. Verse 5. Let's start in verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Aren't you glad that's true, by the way? Now, go read the rest of it. He saved us. Again, emphasizing a second time that this is not something you've accomplished, accomplished, but God did it for you. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, one of your parents, if you've been born again, if you've been born from above, one of your spiritual parents, if you will, is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that brings about that new birth, that makes it possible for you to be born again, have a new beginning. But how does God do it? God brings it about through the Holy Spirit, but also through the Word of God. Go go over to the right and find the book of James. That practical book of James. And I want you to find, uh, or find James. Uh, James chapter 1. I want you to go to verse 18. James chapter 1 verse 18. He chose to give us birth, that is new birth, through the word of truth. That we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us new birth through the word of truth or through the word of God. So we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. We see in verse 23 that same idea. You're born again, not a perishable seed, but to be imperishable through the living and enduring 
Word of God. So, so that phrase, born again, is an important phrase. But there's another important phrase in that passage. And it is the phrase, perishable seed. It refers to our first birth, our physical birth. You and I are reminded every week, sometimes every day, that we are from perishable seed, aren't we? Every week, we hear bad news. Uh, some of you have shared it here tonight. Examples of people who are in the hospital and people who are dying and people who have died and people who have cancer and people who have heart problems and people who have COVID. And it's just evidence again and again and again that our first birth is from perishable seed. But when you are born from above, somebody get ready. When you're born from above, it is from imperishable seed. When you're born from above, it is imperishable seed because, watch this, it is from the living and enduring Word of God. That the Spirit of God takes the living and the enduring Word of God to bring about new birth in you. I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, there is no other book on planet earth that can do that for you. Other books may move you, other books may inspire you, other books may motivate you, other books may teach you, other books may even improve the quality of your life. But only the Bible can put the life of God in you. Only the Bible can do that. So, one of the reasons that we should respond, look, look here, one of the reasons we should, our response to God's Word, one of the reasons we should respond to God's Word is because that is the way we experience new birth. That's the way we are born again. Here's number two. We should respond to what God says because of the truth of God's Word. I absolutely love this point. Look at my little diagram here. Let me pull it over here a little closer. We should respond to what God says. Yes, because that's the way we're born again. But we should respond to what God says because of the truth of God's Word. Look what he says in verse 22. I absolutely love this. Now you have purified yourselves by obeying, by obeying what, church? The truth. Can I say to you, because the Bible was written by God, what it says is true. It is absolutely true because it was written by God. And the Bible says God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. So if the Bible it has God for its author, then what the Bible says is absolutely true. Now, we have a doctrinal statement as Southern Baptists called the Baptist Faith and Message. I've been studying that here lately just for my own benefit. I've uh, been going through it again. And the Baptist Faith and Message says this about the Bible. Listen carefully. Speaking of the Bible, it says, It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. That's a good statement, isn't it? All Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. One of the reasons you should respond to God's Word is because it is truth. Let me show you this real quickly. I, I, I don't, don't want to run out of time, so you're going to have to help me and, and go real quick. I want you to go to Psalm 119, and I'm going to call out several verses 
And I just need somebody to read those for me, okay? Psalm 119. Psalm 119. When you find it, say amen. All right, good. So I'm going to call out a verse, and if you'll read it for me, just raise your hand. You don't have to read it right away. I just want to know that it's covered, okay? So I'm going to call out the verses first, and then we'll go back and read them all. All right, verse 89. Raise your hand if you'll read verse 89 for me. All right, I got it over here. Verses 137 and 138. I got it right there. All right, verse, verse 140. Who's going to read right, right here's 140, 142. Carol, did you if you'll get 142 and 144? Who's 140? All right, Donna's got 144. So, of course, Psalm 119 talks about the Bible. It is the longest psalm in the Bible, and, and it was written about the Bible. Uh, we, we don't have the time to read everything that it says about the Bible, but here's the thing I want you to see: that the Bible is God's truth. And again, and again, and again, and again, Psalm 119 underlines that fact for us, that it's God's truth. So, let's just listen to these verses. Psalm 18, uh, 119, verse 89. Who reads that? Verse 89. Your word is, what was the word? Is eternal. Okay. Yeah, your word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Thank you. Verses 137, 138. I love that last phrase. They are fully trustworthy. Uh, so, uh, verse 140. All right. Your, thy word is very pure. One. Uh, Verse 142. Put those two things together. Your righteousness is everlasting. And your law is true. Uh, Donna, verse 144. Your statutes are always. Not some days, not sometimes, not in some books. Your statutes are always righteous. Ladies and gentlemen, because the Bible was written by God who cannot lie, God's word is true. It is absolutely true. It is not sometimes true. It is not true in some areas. It is absolutely true. Here's something to remember. Write this down. Truth doesn't change. Truth doesn't change. Here's how Peter described it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 and 20 through 25. Just follow, this is so beautiful. Follow along. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. And then he says this, watch this, in, in verse 24. This is so good. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Stands forever. You see, the reason that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time is because millions of people have been transformed by the timeless truth that is found in this book. This book can speak to every person. This book can speak to every generation. This book can speak to people on every continent. This book is God's truth 
for all mankind. And if you have a Bible in your hand, you don't just have a book in your hand, you have truth in your hand. The truth about God. The truth about you. The truth about how to do your marriage. The truth about how to handle your finances. The truth about your sin. The truth about Jesus and His sacrifice. You have truth in your hand. And I love the way it says in verses 24 and 25 that the Word of the Lord is forever true. It, is, it stands forever. It is forever true. And then he uses this illustration here. All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. He's quoting from Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8. Let, let me give you an illustration of what, he just, what Isaiah said and what Peter said as he quoted him. On Valentine's Day, I got my wife some tulips. Uh, that's her favorite. Uh, she prefers tulips over roses, actually, which I, I'm okay with because they're cheaper. And, and so uh, I, I usually try to get her tulips for Valentine's Day or some other occasion. And so here's what happened. I got her tulips. We put them in a vase and all that kind of thing. And after a day or you know, they were, kinda, they were closed up. And after a day or so, they opened up. And they were beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. That was on Monday. On Sunday, February the 20th, we had everybody over for Sunday lunch and she took the, the vase just to move it off the kitchen table and when she did, the petals fell everywhere. And when I saw that, I thought about this verse. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Isn't that true? The grass withers the flowers fall. Everything in this world is failing or falling or fading. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Because it is the living and enduring word of God. Look up here. Why should we respond to God's word? Our lives are impacted and shaped when we respond to God's word. But why should we respond? First of all, because that's how we're saved. We're born again. But also, we respond because God's word is truth. And as we respond to truth, that shapes and impacts our lives. Let me give you a third reason. Put this on your notes. We should respond to what God says because we are the target of God's Word. We are the target of God's Word. Uh, look in verse 22. We'll go back and go to verse 22 again. <clears throat> Now that you, notice this word, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. This book was written for you. Every book has a target audience, right? It doesn't matter what kind of book. You, you go to Barnes & Noble and every book you pull off the shelf has a target audience. It's written for someone. Uh, let me tell you who the target audience is for the Bible. You and me. You're the target audience for what God has written in this book. It was, listen, listen, listen. It was written for your benefit. It was written to change your life. Read the text again. Let's just read verses 20 through, through, through 25. And let me just indicate to you a very important word. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply. For you 
have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all the glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word that was preached to you. Do you know why? You know why? God wrote this book for you. Because he loves you. And he wants to see your life changed. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And he understands the power of sin over you. And he knows that Christ can be your Savior. Somebody that's good at finding the text, go back to Psalm 119 real quickly. Psalm 119, verse 73. Somebody find that and read it out loud for us. Psalm 119, verse 73. Yeah. So, so the psalmist says, Your hands made me and formed me. Easy question. Who is your creator? God. Your hands made me and formed me. And then what, what's the second part of the verse? Give me understanding to learn your commands. If you look at my little diagram here, the psalmist was saying, God, I recognize you are my creator. And you have given me your word. And it's intended for my benefit. And it really is kind of like an owner's manual. Because it was written by your creator. And your creator, he knows everything about you. Uh, He understands everything about you. And he knows what will help you. And he knows what will harm you. And so he's written a book to help you. And we call it the Bible. And this is a book you can turn to again and again to find comfort and to find hope and to find direction and to find correction just when you need it. Ladies and gentlemen, I love this phrase. It's been going through my mind lately. God's word is both timely and timeless. Let me walk through those two words with you real quickly. First of all, God's Word is timeless. This is the same text. Do you understand that the the text that you have in your hand? uh, The English translations, of course, vary over the years. But the Greek and the Hebrew text is the same text that people have been reading for centuries. It's timeless. In fact, just think, this fascinated me when I was thinking about it today. Uh, just this passage in First Peter. It is the exact same text. Again, I understand the English translations, the wording may change a little bit, but I'm talking about the original language now. This is the exact same text that they were reading in 1922. And it was the same text they were reading in 1822. And it was the same text they were reading in 1722. And it was the same text they were reading in 16. 22. Truth never changes. And so it's true for the people in 1622, and it's true for the people in 1722, and it's true for the people in 1822 and 1922 and 2022, because truth is truth, and truth never changes. This word is timeless. It's true for every generation. It's true for for people on every continent. It was true 500 years ago. And it'll be true 500 years from now if the Lord doesn't come back. 
But not only is it timeless, what's fascinating to me is that it's also timely. You know what I'm talking about. There's sometimes you read a verse and it just feels like your name is all over it. You read a verse and God says, no, wait a minute, go back. Did you see what, did you see what I wrote there? Do you see what that, what that word says? You need that word of comfort today, don't you? This word is timely. You needed that correction yesterday, didn't you? This word is timely. You needed that hope last week, didn't you? His word is timely. Why should you let the word of God uh, be a part of your life? You should respond to it because God's word is true and it's timeless and it's timely. And so Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. It would be a good, word, a good prayer for you to pray before you start your read Bible reading every morning or whenever you do it. Psalm 119 verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. God, I just pray you'd open my eyes today that I can see wonderful things in your law. Let me give you the fourth one real quickly. We should respond to what God says fourthly because it helps us grow in our relationship with God and others. Now we get into chapter 2. In chapter 2, he says some very interesting things. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, let me pause there for a second. That phrase, rid yourselves, if I'm reading this correctly, I, I'm, I believe what that phrase is indicating is that these things that he's going to tell us to rid ourselves of, that they're already in the lives of those people he was writing to. Uh, let me help you this way. If I were to say, now you need to go home and rid yourselves of the Coca-Cola that's in your refrigerator. The implication would be you've got Coca-Cola in your refrigerator, right? I mean, it doesn't apply to if you don't have Coca-Cola in your refrigerator. But if you're going to rid yourself, if I, if, if I say, Tom, you need to go home. I know you've got Coca-Cola in your refrigerator. You need to rid yourself of your Coca-Cola. If the, the implication is he's got Coca-Cola in his refrigerator. That's why he has to rid himself of it. Peter is writing to the tribe, to the, the Christians, the strangers of the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And somehow he understands human nature. I assume it's through the Spirit of God speaking into his life. And Peter says, folks, there's some things you need to get out of your life. There are some things that you need to remove. And he lists five things. The interesting thing about all five of these words is that these are all relationship words. Every one of them is a relationship word. And that ties back to chapter 1, verse 22, because in chapter 1, verse 22, we really didn't have time to talk about it, but he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And so... These five relationship words, we don't have time to get into it, really tie back to was writing to Christians and he was saying, look up here for a moment, you need to allow God's word to shape your life. And if you're going to allow God's truth to shape your life, here's your response. There are some things in your heart, there are some things in your life you need to rid yourself of. Because that's the proper response 
to God's word. And so let's look at these five words. Malice. Therefore, rid yourselves of, you know, the hard part is that little word, all. Rid yourself of all malice. In other words, you're never, you're never justified in having malice in your heart and your life. Malice, by the way, is just wickedness in general. It's kind of the, the malicious spirit of the world. Just mean-spirited is what malice is. Just mean mean-spirited. Uh, Peter says that has no place in your life as a child of God, being mean-spirited. Rid yourself of that. Take, remove that from your life. Then he talks about deceit. Acting in ways that are disingenuous. Acting in ways that's two-faced. Using devious ways and actions to get what you want. That has no place in the life of a Christian. You're supposed to be led by truth rather than devious things. And, and then he talks about hypocrisy. That's one probably we're more familiar with because that's saying one thing and doing another. Putting on a show. It's, it really literally means to play a part. You're acting. You're acting a certain way in front of some people and acting another way in front of other people. Peter says you need to rid yourself of these things. And then he says envy. Envy is something, of course, that is just basic jealousy. And I've seen so many Christians on social media just be so envious of other Christians. And it's so evident. So jealous. Peter says that has no place in your life. And then slander. Well, you could really talk about social media here, right? But it's not just social media. Let me tell you what slander is. Slander is when, when you are passing around a rumor because it's so juicy. You're passing around gossip and you're tearing somebody down. Well, did you? We need to pray about so and so because did you hear? We always couch it in religious language. We need to pray about. But what it really is is slander. Because you're tearing down a brother or sister in Christ. And Peter says that has no place in your life. So he uses this phrase, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Why? Look up here for a moment. Why? Why should our response be to rid ourselves of these things? Because, watch the next verse. He says, verse 2, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. He's talking about the Bible. So, you may up in your salvation. Verse 1, he's talking about removing things. In verse 2, he's talking about our desire for something. And our desire should be the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. And I'm going to give you three words if you want to write it down. Just to kind of, using this word picture of a newborn baby, craving pure spiritual milk. Let me give you three words to help what it should look like to God's Word. The first one would be attitude. Attitude. He said, like newborn babies, that's the way you should approach God's Word. You should have the same attitude as a newborn baby does when it longs for the milk of its mother. Have that same attitude. You long for it. Appetite. You crave it. it it's not like, well, I'm going to skip it today. I've never seen a baby say, I'm going to skip it today. I've never seen a newborn baby say, well, you know, maybe I'll get to it tonight. But the newborn baby craves that milk. And, and the newborn baby maybe not 
probably, well, not probably, he or she doesn't understand they need it. They just crave it, right? Peter says, like a newborn baby, you need to have that same appetite. And then, here's the cool thing. The aim is the third word. Here's the aim. That is that you may grow up in your salvation. That you may grow up. Can I ask you a personal question? You don't, please don't answer it out loud. Do you need to grow up in your salvation? You can be a Christian for a long time and be a very immature Christian. Do you need to grow up in your salvation? Can I tell you that the Bible is the primary tool God uses to develop you as a believer. I want to say that one more time. The Bible is the primary tool God uses to help you grow up in your salvation. The Bible is the essential tool to help you grow as a believer. If you're not spending time in God's Word on a regular basis, and I'm not just talking about reading your daily devotion, but I'm talking about you're trying to understand and read and apply God's Word. You're trying to live God's Word. If you're not doing that on a daily basis, you are not growing as a believer. The Word of God is your spiritual food to help you become a growing child of God. It is essential to two things. It is essential to spiritual maturity, and it is essential to spiritual effectiveness. Those two things. So, what we're talking about in 1 Peter is our response to God's Word. As we respond to God's Word, God's Word shapes and impacts our lives. On the front of your note sheet there, or on your note sheet, there on the right-hand side, there is a big question. What is the big question? Somebody read it out to me. Yeah, am I allowing God's Word to shape my life each day? And if not, why not? Because this is the thing that will change your life. So why not? Alright, you've been very good and very patient. I appreciate your attention tonight. Let me pray with you and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you that you do have, you have given us a tool, a wonderful tool to shape our lives, to impact our lives, and then to prepare us to be uh, usable. Thank you that your word can help us grow spiritually and your word can help us to be more effective in what we do for the kingdom. And so may you continue to give us a craving, an appetite, a desire for your word. And may you help us to understand it. May the Spirit of God use the word of God to bring about fruit in our life. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.